Lord God, as we come to these ancient words, these very ancient words in the book of Leviticus, we recognize that we also come this morning to your living and holy word. Speak to us, we ask this morning, through it, through these ancient yet always relevant living words. Let us hear your voice this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During the COVID lockdown, many libraries, they suspended their late fees. I wonder, did any of you take advantage of it? Well, in Middlesbrough, someone took great advantage of this suspension of fees. Someone returned a book 57 years late. 57 years. The fine would have been 500 quid, but this person who returned it got off scot-free. Uh, in the States uh, in 2007, there was a similar story. A man returned the book after 47 years, but he insisted on paying the fine, $171. It's almost 100 years, but almost 100 years ago in this building, an evangelist called W.P. Nicholson preached. He preached to a large group of men. Apparently, there were thousands of men in this building. And if you leave later on and you look at the stained glass window on the way out, you'll see the story. And he preached to these men who were from the shipyard. And after he preached, so many of them were converted that down in Harland and Wolf, they had to open a new shed called the Nicholson Shed. Why? Because all the men brought back the tools that they had borrowed. And they filled it to the brim. It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes people borrow things and then finally return them after a long, long time. Well, do you know what? Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, it's actually really, really simple this morning. You'll be glad to hear. Because basically the message of Leviticus 6, 1 to 7, is that God wants his people to return things that they have borrowed, to return things that they've stolen, to return things that they were meant to keep safe and just kept. That's the basic message of this passage. It's that God's ancient people living in the desert thousands of years ago were required to return and reimburse anyone for property they had taken or borrowed or stolen or not declared. It's really that simple this morning. You might even be in for a short sermon. Who knows? Have a look at what the passage says from verse 2. You'll see it clear as day. If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbor about something entrusted to him or left in his care or stolen or if he cheats him or if he finds lost property and lies about it or if he swears falsely or if he commits any such sin that people may do, well, when he thus sins and becomes guilty, he must return what he has stolen or taken by extortion. Do you see it there? Or what was entrusted to him or the lost property he found. So whatever it is he swore falsely about, he must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. It's clear as day, isn't it? It's dead, dead simple. This is really, really straightforward this morning. In fact, it's so straightforward that I was tempted just to skip it. I was tempted just to kind of gloss over it. I was tempted just to get on to chapter 7 and ignore this part of chapter 6. And the reason I was tempted to skip it was because as I thought about you, as I thought about you here this morning, I thought to myself, this won't apply to my congregation. 
this won't apply to them. But then as I thought more about it, I was reminded that all of Scripture is useful to all of God's people at all times. As I looked at this passage, then I was reminded that that if God's people were prone to these things back then, thousands of years ago, then they're also prone to them today. I wonder this morning, are you prone to these type of things that the Lord says are sin? I wonder, are you prone to these sorts of things that the Lord says should be reimbursed? I wonder, are you guilty of them this morning? To help you work out if you are, let me just ask a few pretty uncomfortable questions. And I just want to let you know that as I prepared this week, I had to pay my window cleaner because he cleaned my windows a couple of weeks ago and I hadn't paid him. I was challenged this week more than I thought. So let me ask you some questions. Have you borrowed money from someone and not given it back yet? Have you borrowed money from someone and forgotten about it? And are hoping they forget about it too? Have you agreed to buy something from a friend or a family member? And you've taken it from them but not paid them for it yet. Are you sitting here in that position this morning? Have you been out for a meal with someone recently? They paid in full. You said you'd split it and send them the money by bank transfer. And as yet, they've just paid for the whole lot. I wonder if you've had work done to your house or something done to your home that you were meant to pay for after it happened and you're withholding that payment. I wonder, are you challenged as you sit here this morning by any of those questions about money? Or maybe it's not money, maybe it's stuff. I wonder, have you borrowed something from someone and you've not given it back? You might have borrowed it 57 years ago and not given it back. In fact, it's pretty much yours now. That's how you think of it, even though you know it actually belongs to them. I wonder... Have you taken something from a relative's house? Maybe a relative who's dying, something that you want and you know was going to be left to someone who you thought undeserving. I wonder, have you done that? And they're sitting here guilty of that this morning. I wonder if you borrowed something and broken it and either gave it back broken knowing it's broken or just didn't replace it. I wonder, can you relate to that? I wonder, are you guilty of any of the things that Leviticus 6 is talking about? I wonder, can you relate to any of these this morning? I'm sure many of you can't, but my guess is that some of you, and I believe some of you, can. Because God's word is relevant to God's people throughout all of God's time. Well, if you're guilty of those things this morning, and if you're sitting here and you're feeling pretty convicted, maybe you think I have CCT on you or something like that, you know, you're, you're, how does he know I've done this? If you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling convicted and guilty, well, then again, the application of Leviticus 6 is really, really, really straightforward. It's not difficult. The application is that you should return the money you've borrowed 
Return the money you've taken. Return the stuff you've taken. If you've broken it, reimburse the person for breaking it. The application of this passage is that when we as Christians, we are called to reimburse others for the things we've taken from them or borrowed from them or broken. Come on, Marty, is this really for us? I mean, it was written to the people in Leviticus. They're thousands of years ago. Is it really for us? Well, I think it is. I think it's written for us. I think it's applicable for us. And the reason I think it's applicable for us is because it was applicable for Zacchaeus. Now, most people, you think of Zacchaeus and you think of the little man who climbed the tree, and you're right. But Zacchaeus puts into practice Leviticus chapter 6 when he comes to faith in Christ. And Zacchaeus, you may not know this, but it's a Hebrew name. It's a Jewish name. So Zacchaeus was brought up going to Jewish Sunday school. And like I said a few weeks ago, what was the first book that children who were Jewish looked at? What was the first book they learned? It was the book of Leviticus. So Zacchaeus as a little boy, would have known the book of Leviticus. But as Zacchaeus grew up, he turned away from God's ways. Turned away from God's law. He went to work for the Romans and he started collecting taxes. And he took a little bit of tax for Rome and a lot of tax for home. He stole from people. He extorted them. He committed the sins described in Leviticus chapter 6. But when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, when Zacchaeus is welcomed by Jesus, when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm I'm coming to your house from tea, when, when Zacchaeus listens to Jesus, and when Zacchaeus puts his trust in Jesus as the forgiver of his sin, what does Zacchaeus do in repentance? He says, I'm going to pay everyone back. Look what it says in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times. Forget the 20%, Jesus. I'm giving back 80% of what I've taken from people. When Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Christ, his response is to make restitution for what he's taken. Now, did Jesus stop him doing it? Did Jesus say, hey, Zacchaeus, it's okay, man. You're forgiven. You don't need to do that. Don't worry about that stuff. No, he didn't, did he? What did Jesus say when he heard Zacchaeus declare that he was going to make restitution? It says in the text, Jesus said to him, today salvation's come to this house. Amen to that, Zacchaeus. You go and do that. You see, Jesus saw that this was the true sign that this man had come to faith. The sign of Zacchaeus' repentance was that he was making restitution for all the ways he'd extorted and stolen and defrauded other people. Folks, this morning's passage, it's really simple and it's not hard to understand. If you've borrowed, if you've taken, if you've stolen, you're called to return it. And to make recompense for it. Easy to understand. Maybe not so easy to do. But that's what we're called to do this morning. But I just want to say, I think there's a a bigger picture and a fuller picture beginning to emerge in chapter 6 of Leviticus. And it's a picture that's fleshed out in the rest of the Bible. 
And it's a picture that in the rest of our time I want to focus on. What is the bigger principle that we're seeing here in Leviticus 6? Well, I think it's this. It's that when God's people sin against others, their response should seem wonderfully strange in the world around them. It's on the screen there. Have a read out with me. Let me say it again. When God's people sin against others, their response should seem wonderfully strange to the world around them. You see, in the ancient world, the idea of giving something back to someone, admitting you'd taken it and giving it back, that was a strange idea. That was a weird idea. And as we go through the Bible, what we see are these strange ideas of what we as God's people are called to do when we sin against other people. We're called to act in ways that seem very strange to the world around us. Let me put it in personal terms. When you sin against others, that's you and me, when we sin against other people, what we see in Leviticus 6 and the rest of the Bible is that our response to sinning against them should seem really wonderfully strange. And let me outline a number of ways it should seem strange. The first thing is that whenever we sin against someone else, we should recognize it as a very big deal. That's the first thing that should seem strange. In the world we live in, people sin against each other every day, don't they? I mean, if you're in an office, you hear gossip, you hear hurtful words, you hear mocking words, you hear untrue words. In the everyday world we live in, People sin against each other with their words and nobody really seems to care, do they? They're, they're not that bothered. They don't feel bad about it. In our world today, people sin against each other and it's no big deal. This week on the news, we heard that a 15-year-old boy was stabbed to death outside his school. Can't even fathom it. Can't you? you? You can't even get your head around it. How does something like that happen? How can a 16-year-old stab to death a 15-year-old? Because he didn't see it as a big deal. No problem doing it. No issue doing it. We live in a world where, where sinning against other people really isn't the big deal anymore where people don't really seem to care. But we're to be different. We as God's people, we as Christians, we are to be different. If we sin against others, we should recognize that this is a big, big deal. And the reason we should recognize it's a big deal is because we have read Leviticus chapter 6, verse 2. Have a look with me very carefully at verse 2. Now remember, this is God speaking to Moses and God, God says this. If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbor. Now let me show you carefully the connections by looking backwards. Look at it backwards. If someone deceives his neighbor, okay, that's sin against others. Look at it the next step. That is that person being unfaithful to the Lord. Do you see what God says? Deceiving others is being unfaithful to the Lord. Sin against others is unfaithfulness to God. What has God said? 
Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Love each other. So when we sin against other people, we're being unfaithful to the Lord. And then look at that, the next bit. Not only that, but not only are you unfaithful to the Lord, but God calls it sin. God connects sin against others as being sin against him. I don't know about you, but I like diagrams. I don't have one up. I should have made a diagram. But I like the diagrams about sin. So you've got like a, a vertical arrow up pointing up. And I think many of us, whenever we think about sin, we think of it being against God. Okay, so sin is doing things God doesn't like. It's offending God. But in the Bible, what we're told is that sin can be horizontal. It can be a horizontal line. We can sin against each other. But what Leviticus 6 verse 2 is saying is that the two lines are joined. Whenever you sin against another person, you're also sinning against the Lord. Sin, my friends, against others, it's a big deal. And we need to recognize that this morning. It's not nothing. It's not inconsequential. We should recognize that it's a big deal. And that will seem strange to the world around us. Um, about six months ago, I was walking. Uh, the boys were out for a walk. And uh, a man let his dog out of the house. It bolted out, out the gate. The dog came over, started barking at Micah. Micah was terrified. Bark, 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 bark. And um, I got a bit cross. And I wasn't rude but I let him know I wasn't very happy. And uh, the man went in and um, I took the boys home and I just felt really guilty because it wasn't on purpose. Like he wasn't purposely letting his dog out to attack my kids. You know what I mean? It was just an accident. We all, we all have those things. And I walked around to his house and I knocked on his door. <laughs> I think he thought I was going to shout at him. <laughs> I said, I said, listen, I'm really sorry. I said, my reaction there wasn't great. And you could just see, like, you could just see this man thinking, what is this weirdo doing? Like, what is this weird person doing? But the reason I did it was because it, it's a big deal. I spoke to him in a way that wasn't right. And I could have justified it. I could have, you know, dog, kids, dog. It wasn't right. It was a big deal. And I want us as God's people to have this really strange idea. In our minds, that sin against others is a big deal. That's the first thing. We need to recognize it's a big deal. Then the other thing that will seem strange is that as Christians, as God's people, we're also called to repent of our sin against others, not just feel remorse or regret. You know, it's funny in the world, I, I looked it up this week, um, kind of when, when you've hurt other people, and all the articles were about how to forgive yourself. And I was like, this is weird. But it's funny, isn't it? The, the most that people have, whenever someone sins against another person, very often the kind of deepest it goes is that they feel remorse, they feel a bit bad, and they feel regret. You know, they wish they hadn't done it. But as God's people, we're to be stranger than that, wonderfully stranger. We're not only to feel remorse or regret, we're to repent. We're to change. We're to be different. The ways we sin against other people, we're to put those away. We are to fight those. We're to kill those. We see it in the book of Colossians, don't we? Look what it says there in Colossians 3, verse 8. 
But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander. And if you open up Colossians chapter 3, you'll see a whole list of other things. And all these things, look at them, they're all directed at other people. We are to be wonderfully strange. We're not just to regret sinning against others or feel remorse, we're to repent. We're to change direction, we're to to be changed. Here's a challenging question. Are you changing? If you were angry at people all the time 10 years ago, are you still angry at them today? If you're known for slander 10 years ago, are you still known for slander today? If you were a gossip 10 years ago, are you still a gossip today? If you are, if that's true of you, we're not doing this right. We're to be wonderfully strange, we're to repent, we're to be different, we're to change. What is it this morning that you need to repent of with the Holy Spirit's help? The next thing then is the the Leviticus passage, we're also to recompensate people when we sin against them. We're to make up to them if we can. We're to have restitution if we can. Now that's quite easy in the case of belongings, isn't it? I mean, if you've, you know, gone out for dinner and not paid for it, pay up. It's easy in terms of belongings. It's easy in terms of money. It's easy in terms of stuff. But the reality is that our words and actions can rob people of other things. They can rob people of their good reputation when we spread lies about people. We can rob people of peace in their hearts by making threats against them. We can rob people of relationships with other people by gossiping about them. And we can rob the church as well, can't we? We can rob the church of unity by holding back forgiveness. We can rob the church of servants by making people feel unwelcome. We can rob the church of joy by harboring bitterness against one another. We're to make compensation even in these types of cases. How do we do that? Well, you've all heard the term, don't you? You owe him an apology. You owe her an apology. Sorry is a wonderfully powerful word. Sorry is one of the most powerful words in the English language. I wonder this morning, could we show that we're different? Maybe in relationships with our friends or our family or our work or even in here. By uttering the word sorry. Giving that apology that we owe. Imagine hearing the words from someone I'm really sorry for how I acted towards you. Imagine hearing the words from someone, I'm really sorry for how I spoke to you. Imagine hearing the words, I'm really sorry that I made you feel so unwelcome. Imagine hearing the words, I'm sorry for the tone in which I spoke to you. I think that could bring some healing, maybe some compensation. And then the final way that we're to be wonderfully strange as Christians is that whenever we sin against others, we're to work towards reconciliation. Do you know what we're really good at? Grudges. 
aren't we? As a society, we're really good at grudges. Um, I guess you probably know some people who fell out back in school days and they're still falling out 30 years ago. You know, they're walking in the same town and they cross the road to avoid them, you know, that type of way. We're really good at grudges. The world is brilliant at grudges. But as God's people, something that is to be wonderfully strange is that we're to be people of reconciliation. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them. Then come offer your guilt gift. We are to be a wonderfully strange people in this world. I just want to not encourage you, <laughs> that's the wrong word. I don't know what the right word is, but you are going to sin against other people. You're, you're, you're going to do it. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. We're flawed. We don't get it right all the time. So I just want to not encourage you. That's the, I don't want to encourage you to sin against other people, but you get the idea. You're going to do this sometimes. But what I want to encourage you to do is that when you sin against others, be wonderfully strange. Recognize it's a big deal. Repent of it, recompensate, and seek reconciliation. And I want to encourage you to do this, not because you're frightened of God or because you kind of feel you have to, to, to be right with him. I want to encourage you to do this because of the gospel, because of what God has done for you in Christ. We were all sinners against God, rebelling against him, weren't we? We'd all decided we didn't want him and we'd gone our way and not his way. And yet what did God do? He, he turned to us. He repented. He, he turned his direction to us and he sent his son Jesus for us. All of us here, we'd, we'd robbed God, hadn't we? Robbed him of the worship he was due. Robbed him of the glory he was due. Robbed him of the thanks that he was due. We had a debt that we owed to God. But he sent Jesus. And Jesus paid that debt in full. As the, as the song says, and on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Through Christ we've been reconciled to God. As the hymn says, once your enemies now seated at your table." Friends, sin against others is a big deal. But Christ has come to forgive it. And he's come to empower us to be wonderfully strange in this world that we live in. Which one of these things this morning is the Lord calling you to do? Which one of these things has he put on your heart? May our response be, to be wonderfully strange in what we do. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, um, we don't really like the idea of being strange, but as we see this vision of being wonderfully strange when we sin against others, that just looks so amazing. We recognize, Lord, that if we live in this way, we'll be able to point people to Jesus and to you 
and to your love and to your grace and to your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for each of us this morning, if there is that one thing that you've put on our hearts, that you'll help us not to ignore it, but to embrace it, to think about it, to ponder it, to pray about it, and ultimately to act upon it. Lord, we're all gonna sin against others. Help us to react in a way that is wonderfully strange when we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.